morning. Not my thing, so bear with me. God's been wrestling with me over this, so uh, um, just wanted to share a couple things that such an encouragement and inspiration this week to me um, about our people. Um, so much faithfulness, so many things. That, I mean, Pastor wouldn't let me stand up here and talk long enough about all the good things I could say about the people in this church and what they mean to our family. Um, but this week in particular, you know, in the face of adversity, you know, the affliction that everybody's been going through, Miss um, Evelyn had something to say to Mandy about, uh, she said, you know, this is me paraphrasing, of course, but she said, you know, God's attacking this church. You know, he's, he's coming against our people. He's, but uh, Miss Evelyn said he doesn't, what he doesn't realize is that it's just going to push us all closer together. You know, and, and this was a few days ago. Norm's laid up in the hospital. Miss Evelyn's just been going through what she's going through and her normal things and the, and the faithfulness and, and still knowing the nature of the battle in the face of all that affliction, to still, you know, to still acknowledge it and to be such an inspiration. I mean, that, that pumped me up, you know, to hear, to hear that, the faithfulness of, of someone going through those things, the way God still empowers her with the Holy Spirit, you know. That, that's the kind of thing we need contagious in our church and in our hearts. And then Brother Richard, you know, the, the things he goes through, what he's, what he's been laid up going through, and talking with him. And he told me, he told me how much God had been just working and blessing him. Just the miracles, he used the word miracles, and, and the blessings, and how much God had blessed him in the last several days. You know, people in perfect health that can do whatever they want don't have those kind of things to say. You know, and, and, and I told them, I said, you're an inspiration to our church. You're an inspiration to me and my family. You know, my children talk about the people in this church. And, you know, there's, there's people in this church that are their heroes. You know, they're not, they're not talking about athletes. They're not talking about musicians, you know, they're talking about faithful people of God that they watch God work through. That's an inspiration to all of us, a blessing to everyone in this church. And, you know, I'm, I'm, it's easy for me. I'm, I'm, I'm young, I'm healthy, you know, but it's, it's inspiring to see that. Miss Linda, you're one that you always, you always inspire me every time I see your face here. And I, like I said, there's so many people in the church just seeing everybody coming back, you know, get knocked down and faithful right back at it, right back at it, you know. Fellowship, you know, none of us forsaking the assembly and together of ourselves, you know, knowing that's what it's about, knowing we're here to encourage one another and bear one another's burdens, just like the Bible says, standing on the Word, just like what we're supposed to. And we're not perfect, but God's working through us. And I just hope this church catches fire for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and things like what Evelyn and, and Richard and all of us that are coming back and, you know, we're not, we're not hiding, you know. Devil, we, we know the end. We, we know the battle's won. And uh, I just, I was in Hebrews this morning. I've been in Hebrews for quite some time and God's really blessed me in it. And this morning I was reading, it was one of those good mornings, you know, a lot of times I'm reading and it's like everything's bouncing off the thickness of my impenetrable skull. 
You know, this morning it was, it was, I could feel it in my heart. I could feel him working it in my heart. So I just wanted to share a couple things I read. It's in the 13th chapter of Hebrews. And he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That's man or man's sickness. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You know, we still have that same God we read about, those miracles in the Old Testament, parting the Red Sea, leading the Israelites out, things he did with Elijah, things the Lord Jesus Christ did in the New Testament, the New Testament church, the power of the Holy Spirit coming down on thousands, you know, ministering to multitudes, thousands of people, saving thousands of people. That's our God. That's the same God we have. Nothing different. Nothing's changed. He wants to empower us the same as he wanted to empower them. We, we hinder that. We put him in a box. We put him in our box of what we think and what we believe and what this world says. And forget this world. We don't need this world. We're just passing through here. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we don't limit him, we don't hinder him, God only knows what the Holy Spirit will do in our hearts and in this church. I love what the pastor says about all we can do is, you know, set our sails and hope that the Holy Spirit comes along and chooses to blow upon them. And, and that's, you know, the willing vessel. You know, that's, that's, that's what we should do. That's what we need to do. That's when we bear one another's burdens and we pray for one another, that's what we all need. We all need it. We all need Christ, every one of us. And uh, also, uh, the last thing is, Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves, also in the body, bearing one another's burdens. You know, really just, I love you all. God's done amazing things in our lives and in my family. I, so many people in this church inspire me. Seeing, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not afflicted. You know, I've, I've gone through nothing. I'm privileged. You know, I'm I'm absolutely blessed, but seeing, seeing God work through people in this church, and it doesn't stop them. Faithful people that continue to come, continue to do what the Bible, what, what the Word of God says we should do. It's a blessing. It's an honor to be here in the house of God. And I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would come down on this place today and just visit with us in a special way and minister to our hearts, convict our hearts. We, we can't change if we're not convicted. Our, you know, our heart's not going to change if we're not convicted by the Holy Spirit. We, you know, what, what, do we, what do we need to change for? You know, nothing's wrong. Everything's okay. But, so, thank you. Amen. I'll tell you what, I, I love the heart and the spirit of the folks that make up the body of this church. And um, I, it's exciting to see God do a work in your own life, but when he, you watch it happening at the same time in the lives of your other brothers and sisters in Christ, and you all seem to be growing together at the same time, it just is over overflowing, it seems like, sometimes. And... Uh, it, it has been amazing. Uh, it's, it's been busy time, uh, but boy, it has, it has been unbelievable to watch how God has used so many of our folks to help each other during this time. And uh, I was telling somebody the other day about how uh, how willing and uh, our folks were. It's almost to the point where 
people would be like, Pastor, give me something to do. You know, if somebody needs anything. Or uh, I, I, I've had people that were sick, that were still in bed sick, <laughs> calling others saying, hey, do you need anything? Is there anything I can do for you? Or can I be praying for you? And they were sick themselves. And, uh, boy, I just, uh, you know, as we grow closer to the Lord, uh, we grow closer one to another, and I'm certain of that. And, you know, one of the great signs of God doing something in a person's heart is if we love one another. Uh, the Bible teaches us that. Uh, if a man says that he loves God and he doesn't love his brother, the Bible says that he's a liar and the truth is not in him. Uh, and, boy, what a joy. I've, I think we all have heard or know of churches or maybe even experienced churches where that kind of spirit is not, not there. And uh, why God chose to give it to this church, I'm not sure, but I'm so glad He did. And uh, I'm so thankful for what God is doing. And um, I don't, I don't want to just build up people, but uh, I want to encourage us in this, uh, that we protect it, that we guard it carefully, uh, because it would not take very much at all for Satan to do a work and to cause strife in the church. And uh, just pray every day that God will allow us to continue in these things and uh, to keep that sweet spirit about us. Well, Exodus chapter number 23. Exodus chapter number 23. So we've dealt now with the Ten Commandments. We spent uh, last Sunday, we went through about a chapter and a half or so, two chapters of application uh, where God takes now those Ten Commandments and He gives very specific illustrations of application of them. And uh, so He tells us, okay, when this happens, here's how you're to judge that. And uh, was giving them uh, the rules and some examples and illustrations. And the illustrations that He gives are, are key to other, other problems that are similar but maybe weren't specifically stated in those areas. They're key to give us the heart or the mindset of God, and that's his intent here, is that we gain um, his heart, his mindset on these things, so that we can rightly understand them and that we can judge them. Now, if you have not been here on the last couple Wednesday nights, we've dealt with the topic of Christian liberty. And I would encourage you, if you've not listened to those messages, I, I don't know if our video happened last Wednesday, but I know the audio came through on it. Um, but uh, I, I want to make sure that we all understand this truth about Christian liberty, um, that uh, we each and every one of us uh, are allowed to be led by the Holy Spirit as He illuminates His Word in our hearts. And the only people that we are to be judging in those areas uh, of conviction or uh, standards or um, the way we ought to live our lives and things along those natures that are not doctrinal issues but are preferential issues or issues that God has dealt with our conscience about, the only person we're to judge is us. And I look at um, understanding the mind of God in Exodus chapters 21 22 and a little bit into chapter 23, and I would even say this, that the primary purpose, even in these areas, that we are to understand and know the heart of God is so that we can measure ourselves by it. Uh, again, it's easy for me to look at other people and say, well, that person's not doing what this says here or that I believe God's heart uh, is on this matter. But what I ought to be doing is looking at my own heart and saying, am I measuring up to what God has? And so God gives us a few chapters here 
of expressing his heart, his indication of uh, how he looks at things, how important some things are. There, there are things that sometimes you and I kind of downplay, we justify them uh, in our lives, and, and really they're serious matters to God. Um, uh, just, just by way, I've said this before, but it's interesting to me how, how bad everyone else's sins are. Have you ever noticed that? They're, they're never ours. Ours aren't all that bad. In fact, usually we have already found a way to justify them, or at least to make them to where they're small sins. They're not the real big ones. And the truth of the matter is we all look at our sin that way, or we, wouldn't, we, would, we would despise our sin. We would hate our sin. We'd get rid of it. And uh, that's the way we ought to be. We ought to know what does God's mind think about these things. And if we're not careful, we'll be, and we are living in a day where I believe a lot of Christianity uh, has become very comfortable in things that God is not comfortable with at all. Uh, that we have become very uh, at ease with justifying some conduct that, again, according to Scripture, God takes as a very serious issue. And so he gives us those in the last couple chapters. We've dealt with that. Uh, you can go back and listen to uh, those uh, lessons, uh, or you can go back and read through those chapters. They're very easy to understand. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't beat around the bush. He's very clear on them, and it gives us the heart of God. I'm thankful that we are living in the age of grace, where we're not stoned to death now for the things that they used to get stoned to death for back in the Old Testament. Um, it's interesting to me, I was listening to a preacher years ago dealing with the subject of Ananias and Sapphira. And, and uh, what, what had happened in the early church was there was a uh, great persecution. A lot of folks were uh, losing their families. The families would disown them. They'd kick them out of the house. Um, many of them, especially if they were Jews, would um, lose their position as far as jo- uh, jobs or being a servant of someone and, and earning a wage for it. Uh, they would lose their jobs, they would lose their livelihoods, and so basically they were homeless and unemployed uh, as Christians. And that was part of the persecution that was going about, a lot of Christians suffering during this time. And so what the church did is they uh, brought everything together. They said, boy, this we're all in this together. They had a, a spirit like our church, I think, has, and what Brother Kenny was talking about this morning. They had a spirit of let's bring everything together, and those of us that have means and are able to, Let's try to help support those and, and take care of those that cannot or don't have those means. And we'll just try to help each other and take care of each other. So a lot of people were selling their properties or selling things. They were bringing them into uh, Peter and the leaders of the church. And they would say, okay, here it is. If you know somebody that's in need, uh, you can disperse it. Well, Ananias and Sapphira uh, wanted to be known outwardly as one of those people. And so they decide they're going to sell the piece of property. We all know the story, how they kept part of the price back. Now, their sin was not in keeping part of the price back. Their sin was trying to impress upon Peter and the rest of the church and what the Bible refers to as lying to the Holy Spirit. They were trying to convince everybody else that I am something that I really am not. They could have easily said, I'm going to sell the property and we need really a a quarter of it to live on ourselves, but we'll donate the other three quarters. And God would have been fine with that. That would have been what they were able to do that God had led them to do. But what they did is they went and they lied against the Holy Spirit. And what did God do to both of them? What did He do? He struck them dead, didn't He? Aren't you glad 
that God still doesn't do that. He did do it that time because He needs us to understand His heart on those issues. But I'll be real frank with you. I'm thankful that not every time one of us has lied to the Holy Spirit or tried to be, pretend that we are something that we are not, that He hasn't struck us dead. Aren't we glad we live under grace now? I'm thankful for that. And uh, so we understand the heart of God. It's important for us so that we can make the things important in our lives that are important to Him. It's amazing to me how we make some of the most unimportant things to God important in our lives and some of the most important things that there are to God unimportant in our lives. Uh, I'll be honest with you. When I was a young young person, well, I hope I'll be honest with you. I'm a pastor, so uh, I'll be real frank with you, transparent with you. Let's put it that way. When I was a young person playing sports, uh, boy, I'd sit there on the end of a bench when it was a close game, and I mean, I'd pour my heart out to God, begging, pleading, praying, Lord, help the ball to go in the hoop. And Lord, you can do it. I know you can do it. you got the power to do it. To be real honest with you, I'm not saying God wasn't at all involved in what I was doing at that time, but that, that game was all so unimportant to Him. Now, to me, it was huge. It was huge. That was my life at the time. And it was huge, and I'd pray for that. And I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for those things. All I'm saying is this. So easily we take the things that are unimportant and we make them very, very important in our lives. And then the things that God gives us in Scripture where He says, this is very, very important to me. Because maybe it costs us some friends. Maybe it costs us some things that we're doing in our lives. Maybe a change in our lifestyle. We make those important things very unimportant in our lives. We just kind of go through. Uh, doing whatever we want to do. And we justify Him, don't we? Uh, even though we love God, and I think that there's a group here in our church especially that really pursue after. They, they, they long to be emptied of self and, and to seek to please God. But, you know, even in, as much as we try and as much as we strive for those things, we still find ourselves oftentimes in that situation, don't we? It's amazing to me. I was... Uh, We'll get to the lesson here in a minute, but I want to I want to stay on this topic for just a moment here. It's amazing to me. I was talking with somebody here just recently that um, there are some things that I grew up uh, having learned in Sunday school or in church over the years that as I grew up and I began to study Scripture, uh, they weren't quite what Scripture taught. They were maybe a little bit off or a little bit different than what Scripture taught. And the hardest thing that I have to do is to get to a place where I don't come to Scripture trying to back up my beliefs or my doctrine, but that I come to Scripture and say, I want it to teach me my beliefs and my doctrine. Do you see the difference there? Um, and, and so there's been a few times that somebody has brought something to my attention, and I've said, okay, I'll study Scripture, and I want to see what does the Bible say about it. If I'm wrong, then we'll fix it. If you're wrong, you can fix it. Or sometimes maybe we're both wrong, and we'll learn something from here. And so I've gone to Scripture. And, and as hard as I've tried to lay aside my, my prejudice towards my own belief and come strictly to God's Word and let God's Word show me what it says, even when I've gone to it with that mindset and the consciousness of that thought, I still catch myself saying, let me find another verse <laughs> that will back up what I believe. That one wasn't a good one because it, it maybe showed me how that wasn't quite right. You ever been there before? Ever had that happen? I don't know if anybody else has had that happen. I've had that happen before. 
And the same thing happens as much as we love God with all of our hearts, and that's our mindset. We have a, maybe a heart that, that, like the psalmist said, as the heart, the, the, the deer, H-A-R-T, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so my soul longeth after thee, O Lord. And the idea that we just really long for God. There are still times that we take the things that are important to Him and we minimize them in our lives. And we all do that. Paul did that. And one of the greatest Christians that I know of. And Paul did that. He had times that there were things that were uh, out of priority in his life. The preeminence of God was not there. And he spoke of that uh, often, that it was a battle. It was a daily struggle for him. And so I just want to say that to, to kind of lead into uh, or kind of finish off where, we're, uh, where we've been the last couple of weeks on this topic about knowing the heart of God on these issues. Um, I'm thankful that the Bible gives us some very specific things in Scripture. There's no question about them. They're actually written there. It talks about lying. It talks about cheating. It talks about stealing and uh, all these different topics that are specifically written in Scripture. But when it gets to the end of that list, oftentimes you'll see something like, and such like, or um, some of these, uh, additionally, these other things as well. Um, and so he gives us those things, not to say this is an exhaustive list, but to give us his heart on these types of things. Very, very important that we seek for the heart of God on the matter when we come to Scripture. What is his view on it? What is his heart on it? And it ought to be the desire of our heart, <coughs> and I've quoted it so often before, where the psalmist said, Oh, that my ways were thy ways. He was saying, basically, I want my heart to be in tune with what God's heart is on the matter. And if we're not careful, <laughs> as much as we put our minds to it, and we determine and we purpose in our hearts, this is what I'm going to do, we'll still catch ourselves doing the opposite of what God's heart is on the matter and finding ways to justify it. So we've got to be careful of those things. That kind of finishes up the where we've been the last couple of weeks. And uh, we come now to the middle of Exodus chapter number 23. Now, in the middle of chapter 23, God is going to begin the establishment of a covenant. Now, He's already given His laws. He's already given the judgments of those laws and the applications of them. <clears throat> now he's going to state the conditions of a covenant that he's going to make with the nation of Israel, the Mosaic Covenant. Look with me in verse 14. Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt not eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee in the time appointed of the month of Abib. For in it thou camest out of Egypt, <coughs> and none shall appear before me. Empty. So the first one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or um, some people know it as the Feast of Passover. And that's part of that process of the Passover time period is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, this is a picture of, um, of the purity of, of the body of Christ that was shed for you and I, the, uh, the, uh, the sacrifice that was made for salvation. And uh, very important as we see the picture of the Passover in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we get to verse number 16. There's a second feast that he tells them. <coughs> he says, In the feast of the harvest, the feast of harvest uh, of the first fruits of thy labors which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering which is in the end of the year when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field, 
Three times in a year all thy males shall appear before the Lord thy God. And so we find here that there is a feast of the first fruits. And uh, again, we shared a little bit last week that when Christ rose from the dead after he was uh, crucified on the cross, the Bible says that the graves of many of the Old Testament saints were open, and many of them walked around for a period of time. Uh, I don't know exactly. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how long. I personally believe that when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven, that those Old Testament saints went with him. Maybe they went before that. Maybe they were just around for a short period of time. <clears throat> a secular historian by the name of Josephus attests to historical accounts of these uh, Old Testament saints being seen during this time and walking around. And uh, then we, so we find the, uh, the Feast of the First Fruits. And, uh, of course, we look at uh, the resurrection of the Old Testament saints as the first fruits of the harvest when it comes to uh, Christ uh, rapturing the church and taking uh, the believers uh, to heaven. And then we find, as we get to the end of verse number 16, that there's the feast of ingathering. This is the third feast. And this one is found in the end of the year. Uh, when all of the labors have been gathered in and all the crop has been gathered in. And again, uh, to give an idea or a picture, an Old Testament picture, of uh, Christ coming, returning, and taking those that are His. And remember the parable that Jesus told His disciples of the tares and the wheat and how the enemy came at night and sowed the tares in among the wheat. And uh, by the way, there will be tares that look a lot like the wheat. They... they uh, are almost indistinguishable, in fact. And uh, the disciples said, well, do you want us to go in there and, and weed all these tares out? And Jesus said, no, lest we would root up some of the wheat, the good wheat, as well in the process. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but when there's been uh, strife in the church and someone leaves a church uh, for a, a reason that's a difficult reason, oftentimes they take some good people in the church with them. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, I'm not saying one was a tear and one was a weed as far as whether they were saved or not saved, but uh, there comes a time where uh, the Lord Jesus is going to come back and He's going to rapture those that are His by faith. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to be very religious. They're going to be left behind. And so we find here again a picture of three things that God wants them to remember by three feasts. He wants them to do it every year. These feasts were for the purpose of remembrance and to give them a visual and a picture of things to come and what was going to be happening, the, the sacrifice of God's perfect Lamb, uh, the rapture of the first fruits, and then finally the rapture of the uh, harvest and the, the uh, end of the uh, harvest when all of the labors are done. And uh, verse number 17, he says, Three times in the year all thy males shall appear before the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of my offering my sacrifice remain until morning. The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in his mother's milk. Behold, I send an angel before thee. Capital A. Isn't that interesting? If you have a King James Bible, it has a capital A there. Hmm. That's a rather interesting thought. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee in the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for, his, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. 
Interesting thought. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For mine angels shall go before thee and bring thee unto the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them, and quite break down their images. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall none cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. I will send my fear before thee. I will destroy all the people of whom thou shalt come. And I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. Well, that's a lot of promises, isn't it? I mean, he's talking about blessing their water and their food, that they wouldn't be sick, that their enemies will flee before them. He'll, he'll cause the enemies to fear, that their wombs will be open, that they'll be growing and multiplying as a nation. And, uh, I mean, he just gives them all kinds of promises here. All of them conditional. They're conditional upon them obeying, verse number 22, but if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then... And then he goes on to give all of the promises he's going to give. By the way, when covenants were made, that's the way they were made. When they would stand in the midst of the carcass that had been slain and the sacrifice... And they would make the promises and the cursings of the covenant. This is what I will do. This is what I'm promising. This is what I'm covenanting to do. And if this is broken, then this is what will happen. Notice he says here in verse number 28, And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. The nation of Israel was too small of a people to occupy the entirety of the promised land. The promised land would have overgrown them. The wild beasts and the uh, crops and the land would have uh, over, overgrown and become unmanageable for their size of a nation. So God was going to give them this land over a period of time as they grew. And very important that the nation of Israel needed to understand this. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even unto the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert unto the river. Uh, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, I will surely be a what? Wait a minute. This is God promising all of these things to the nation of Israel. If they what? If they obey. He says, now if you go against me and you start making covenants with these other, these other lands and covenants with their gods, and you begin to let them infiltrate you, he said, I'll be a snare unto you. And by the way, God always is true to his side of the covenant, isn't he? He's never going to back out. God will never break his side of it. Will the nation of Israel break it? Time and time and time and time again. Did they ever cease to be his people? No. 
Did it bring God's judgment on them? Sure. But they were still His, weren't they? Wonderful picture of eternal security, isn't it? Because the truth of the matter is you and I break covenant with God every day. He is faithful. And He holds us secure. We're still His children. Now notice as we get to chapter 24, and I'm just going to get into the verse, first verse or two, and then we'll end there and pick it up next week. And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice, and I notice this, and said, All the words which the Lord hath said, we will, or will we do. So what the nation of Israel was saying is God offered the blessings and the cursings of the covenant. And basically said, now Moses, go find out if the people are agreeable to this. And the people come back and said, yes, Moses, we're agreeable to it. So they enter into a covenant with God. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and rose up early in the morning, and built an altar under the hill, under the hill, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. So all twelve tribes are entering into this together. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings, and sacrificed peace offerings of the oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood, and put it in basins. And half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. When a covenant was made, the two participating parties would cut the hand or the wrist and intermingle the blood. The blood was to be between both of them. Again, this is an Old Testament picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, being part of the Godhead, had blood that was God's blood, wasn't it? Notice as we get here in verse number 7, and he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people and said, uh, I'm sorry, uh, and, uh, of all the people, <clears throat> I'm sorry, back up to verse number six. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. This was the blood that was for God's side of the covenant. And then notice in verse number seven, he took the book of the covenant, the things that had been written down about this covenant and read it in the audience of of the people and they said all that the Lord has said we will will we do and be obedient and Moses took the blood he was not going to do this until the children of Israel said we're agreeable and when they said yes we're going to do this God's already done the blood sprinkling on his side now the bible says in verse number 8 and Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. I'm thankful that one day, about 2,000, a little over 2,000 years ago, our Savior took His blood, went up to the altar, the mercy seat in heaven, and sprinkled His own blood on the mercy seat. But I'm also thankful that His blood covers me. He entered the covenant on behalf of us with His own blood and said, I will take the punishment for them breaking covenant. 
I love the way the Old Testament pictures so many of these new things, the New Testament things. We're going to find out next week a little bit more about that, and I've talked to you and taught you a little bit about the process of covenant. But we're going to see something really unique next week in this chapter uh, regarding this particular covenant. And I uh, hope, you'll, hope you'll be here again next Sunday. Let's go ahead and be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you're blessed and use it. Lord, we are so thankful this morning that your blood covers it all. Our past sin, our present sin, and our future sin. We're thankful that we remain your people even though we, even though we break covenant with you on a daily basis that we remain your children. We've been adopted into your family. And Lord, there is no getting out of it. We're thankful that that blood that was shed on Calvary 2,000 years ago, that perfect blood, covers us. And when we sin, God, this just God of heaven, looks down upon us. He sees perfect blood. He sees the price has been paid and the justice has been satisfied. Oh, Lord, we're so thankful. Uh, You've given us grace and You have justified us. You've redeemed us. And, Lord, we rejoice in that this morning. We pray that You'll bless the next service and, Lord, that You'll speak to our hearts, encourage us through Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.